Welcome to We'll See You in Hell, the podcast brought to you by the Fangoria Podcast Network. You want info? Hey, you want info on the network? Is that what you want? You want that fucking info? Yeah. Is that what you need? Yeah, you want it? Yeah, you want that info? Sorry, that was creepy. Uh, I didn't like it. <laughs> the uh, go Go to the damn website. That's how you follow the show. That's how you find past episodes. We'll see you in hell. You go, you visit Fangoria.com. Now on with the show. Pat, how are you? I'm all right, Joe. Uh, I, As I was saying before we started recording, I was just watching the third and final presidential debate. I'm sick to my stomach. I want to apologize to the women of America that, that this man is representing perhaps half of the nation. Uh, it's dark, man. He's a fucking sick, sick man. Well... That being said, Pat, I have a cold. Yep. I didn't see the debate tonight because uh, I s- was sleeping. Okay. So I am sick, but it sounds like you are sick and tired. <laughs> you know, you're absolutely right, Joe. I'm sick and tired uh, of, the of, being, of being sick and tired, frankly. <laughs> um, no, it's it's a bad time, folks. You know it. I know it. So why can't we just talk about some movies and, and try to feel better? Uh, I'm going to break down what I've seen in the couple of weeks since we last spoke, Joe. Right. Well, tell me about it. Now, do you think we're going to get a Trump movie eventually? Oh, no question. Like a real one? Because they've done like Funny or Die. No, no question. I mean, his life story, I think, you know, like very much like what they did with the OJ show, which I thought was so fantastic, I think would be an amazing thing. Who do you think David Schwimmer will play in the Trump one? Melania. He'll play Melania? Yeah. Okay. Melania. Melania. That's my show. Oh, I think he said Maloney. Like, he's going to play Christopher Maloney in the Trump movie, which I didn't know what the connection (laughs) there would be. You know, uh, on the horror uh, tack, Schwimmer, I think, is a fine enough actor, but in a way that never happened with me with, like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus or the Seinfeld people, even though I love that show much more, there's something about the Friends where when I see him, I'm just like, you're on this this frothy little friends show. You know, they they never so when Schwimmer was in App Pupil, which is a fantastic movie, Stephen King adaptation. Who who I never saw App Pupil. Who was Really? Your... It's one of Stephen King's short stories, which I, I would think you would love. I know. I, I didn't have a high interest in it because it was just about the Nazi hiding in the neighborhood. There was no like monster element, so it didn't excite me that much. No, it's it's an extremely good movie. It's uh, I don't doubt it. Plus, you got your Brad Renfro in there. Yeah, I think it was Brian Singer's follow up to Usual Suspects, actually. But it was. It's a uh, it's a very very good movie. But Schwimmer plays the guidance counselor in it, and it's not a big part. But it was like during the height of Friends, and he shows up, and you're like, nope. I just saw him in. Uh, I just rewatched season four of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, and I enjoyed Schwimmer's performance in that, but uh, never realized it was weird. I was watching it. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's exceptionally good looking. Schwimmer, at that period. I mean, I don't. I haven't seen him lately. I'm sure he's still a handsome man, but uh, he he's a good looking dude, man. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> I wouldn't mind taking a swim <laughs> in that pool. What uh, movies have you seen, Pat? Let's let's start. By the way, let's let's officially make this how we open the show. We we the movie recap. Sure, uh, I'll tell you what I've seen. Speaking of friends, Lisa Kudrow had a small and distracting. Got to admit it. 
part in The Girl on the Train, which I saw. Distracting because it was Kudrow or? Yeah, and, and Kudrow did differentiate herself because now I think of her more as Valerie Cherish from The Comeback, which I think is a genius show. I think Kudrow's a magnificent actress and deserves I do as well. Way she more. was the funniest part of Neighbors, I think, by far. Um, uh, Romeo Michelle, I love. Well, yeah, she's great. She's great in the uh, opposite of sex. Yeah, yeah, we're big fans uh, over here. She's. I'm a big analyze this fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, not analyze that. But folks, she shows up in the girl on the train, and you're like, oh, it's Phoebe, you know. And you're you're judging her on her looks because you can see her every night on television. You know, it's it's there's something about people being on TV for that long where you feel like you're able to like judge them and be like, ah, I know who you are and everything about you. I don't buy. Well, you I just part. said it inadvertently just said it about Schwimmer. Yeah. I yeah. was focused completely on what he looked like. Yeah. Over everything else. Whereas Ben Stiller was on the same season and I was just like, yeah, this is Ben Stiller doing a part. Like I wasn't <laughs> thinking about, <laughs> right. it, you know, it's not fair. Uh, she has a very right. small part in the girl on the train girl on the train. Uh, I did not read the book. I was very confused for three fourths of the movie. But I was on board. My friend's wife is reading the book right now and yeah. said that the book is utterly confusing and she doesn't know what's happening. Okay. I, then the movie, I guess, was very a faithful adaptation. But when they started explaining everything, I was both clear. I understood everything that was happening, which is rare for me. And I loved it. I thought it was great twists and turns. I was on board. So the movie, you know... I'm going to give it a B. I thought it was a very good thriller. Not not at a Gone Girl level. Certainly not at a Fatal Attraction or a Basic Instinct style level. But it was a fun movie. So you didn't see any clam in this picture. No, you did see a little bit of clam. You did? Whose? So, well, I, honestly, I, I tried to talk to my girlfriend about the movie, and I found you almost can't say anything about it. Because as oh, soon okay. as you start talking, like, well, this guy, his relationship to her, you've ruined the movie. A lot I, of tabloid just, heat on Joe Lee right now. <laughs> well, you know, the, she divorced Brad Pitt. I know, but uh, the, all the tabloids are saying that she's that she's uh, slandering him, so to speak. She's making up stories, but but who the hell knows? I mean, I had always heard he had a big weed problem, and and uh, him and Clooney, you know, that that sort of uh, Rat Pack drinking. You know, folks, it might be fun on the set of Ocean's Thirteen, but when you bring it home. When you got uh, 12 kids in the mix, that, it's a dangerous combination. That, what do you think it's going to be like on the set of that Ocean's 8? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I love all three of the Ocean's movies, even the much maligned 12, because while that twist was stupid, I admire that they went for it. Uh, I've only seen one and thir- 11 and 13, excuse really? me. I never saw 12. I love their. I thought Pacino was great. Pacino. I thought Pacino was great in thirteen. Bogosian and Pacino, or not yeah. Bogosian, Gould. Excuse me, and Pacino. Gould, were, right? Yeah, I mean, we're both Ocean's great. Eleven, the original, I think, is a is a modern classic. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, and this is why one of the you know you mentioned Trump and and how poorly women are treated these days. Yeah, uh, or, or, or I should I shouldn't say these days. I should say how shameful it is that in this modern of a society, this is still a thing. Yeah. That's happening. But I mean, you know, you see it, too, with these movies. It's like, can the can the women just have their own movie? Yeah. Like this, the yeah. big franchise they get is like just the, the it's not even a remake of the <laughs> remake yeah. of the all men. And it's like the most man thing. Yeah. The Rat Pack. 
and then it's the modern Rat Pack redoing it. Then they give it to women, and it's just not even a remake of that. They're like, no, we're just going to do three prequels. It'll be eight, nine, and ten now. Yeah. And it's like... And and same with Ghostbusters. You have one of the most beloved comedies ever. Uh, People firmly entrenched in these roles, and then, yeah, now we'll just do it with women. Why not come up with an original thing for women, which they did and they have done before. I think Romeo and Michelle is a great example of a of a woman-driven comedy that felt very new. Very funny movie. Uh, Bridesmaids, of course. You yeah. know, everyone always cites, but you can't really underestimate what that movie did. Nine to five. Why? The, it, look, if you're going to remake a movie for women, yeah. if you're going to force unfairly female actors to be in <laughs> to be remakes... Yeah. At least remake nine to five and like yeah. stuff like that. Like, why are you making them do men movies? Yeah, you know that. I feel like that's disrespectful. I don't know. It but just bug. It bugs me. Anyway, go ahead. I just saw Dolly Parton at the Hollywood Bowl. Hell of a show. I heard she put on a great show. It was like two hours, amazing musical performances, and then an hour of like great hee haw style stand up. She did. She did stand up. She tells so many fucking jokes. So many jokes, and they're all funny. It's like, uh, you know, Rickles style. Very old school. Now tell joke. me, where in the set does 9 to 5 come? It was the closer. But she'll tell a and story. And is the place just going berserk? Of course. She told <laughs> stories about being on the set of 9 to 5. She told a very funny story about the set of Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. She's making out with Burt Reynolds, and she's like, and I don't know if Burt would appreciate me saying this, but he was starting to go real gray at this point. So before every take, he'd smear a bunch of black dye into his mustache and his beard and his hair. So I go in for the closing scene of the movie to make out with Bert, and when I pulled away, I had black all over my face. <laughs> the crowd goes insane. <laughs> kind of, it's kind of a funny story. All right, all right. Um, I saw, we talked about Sully last time, I saw Deepwater Horizon, another... Uh, real-time, uh, ripped-from-the-headlines, watered uh, tragedy movie. I mean, you're just seeing the dad movies at this point. Yeah. Uh, me and Heather were joking this weekend. We go, we went with this couple two weekends in a row. First weekend, we saw Sully. Second, we saw Deepwater Horizon. Do we discuss the issues of the day at brunch afterwards? And I was like, we're 45 years old. Um, 45. 55 years old. Yeah, 65. 75 years old. Uh, but Deepwater Horizon I liked. Kurt Russell, Marky Mark, mm-hmm. Kate Hudson skyping in a performance, which is what, uh, again, this is what women have to offer these days, folks. I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little envious of that gig. That's a nice... Yeah, it's like a, a voiceover gig or something. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Deepwater Horizon is about the BP oil spill. I, th- I thought about it exactly as I felt about Sully. I thought it was, uh, I learned a little bit. It was a great retelling of the events. Right. Uh, suspenseful, and I liked it. They, they got in, they got out. Right. Um, I saw Birth of a Nation, the very controversial Birth of a Nation. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because the, that whole rape controversy popped up around it. Uh, yeah, they bought the movie at Sundance or, or one of those festivals for like $20 million. And then between that acquisition and the release of the movie, it came out that the director and star and writer Nate Parker had allegedly raped someone when he was 18 and been acquitted of the crime. Uh, so you go but in... But then, of course, it, 
not of, I shouldn't say of course. I just mean like, but the, the, I, the only reason I use the term of course is because I said controversy, meaning from the other side of it, it there was a lot of argument that he was not innocent. You know, that was. Yeah, because the woman uh, who brought the allegations recently killed herself. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Nate Parker was on 60 Minutes recently and they asked him if he wanted to apologize to her or her family and he said no why would i i've been acquitted which is not a great response regardless oh that's Um, a terrible response yeah so you go into the movie knowing these things about the guy who made it i recently read this disgusting article i think in the hollywood reporter where they were like you know let's say woody allen roman polanski raped uh who they say they raped this is uh unfortunate but they've had 50 years of great movies so we're very willing to forgive them right and now Nate Parker, and roman polanski admitted that to yeah. guilt he admitted yeah. to unlawful yeah, sex yeah. with a minor and it was like nate parker he hasn't really proven himself to us so you know i don't know that people are going to be as forgiving of him because this is his first movie very dangerous me, and sick article this drives me nuts with polanski yeah I understand if you're on either side of it with Woody Allen because there was no there was no real closure to the thing. Right. Accusations were hurled. There's information on both sides that caused different parties to support either side of the argument. Right. So we, we can leave that one out of it. Roman Polanski admitted to having sex with a minor. It is fact. Yep. And I, that's the part that drives me nuts, that people are still so supportive of him, including Mia Farrow. Yeah. Which is is nuts to me. But but, you know, it's I hate that he even gets brought up into this. Like, well what how would we have react? Well you know how to react. We have the we know what happened. Yeah. With Polanski. Yeah. And uh, we still, you know, it, it's uh you gotta separate the the singer from the song. I don't agree with that. Can't do it. Um, I don't agree with that. And I will say I brought my knowledge of this guy, which was not a very positive view of him, into the movie, which contained about two rape scenes for shock value. Rapes are kind of what incites the slave riot that is the climax of the movie. It's a movie about slavery. It's a movie about a revolt. Were the rape scenes that you say for shock value, were they unnecessary or were they necessary in depicting the treatment of slaves at that time? I Look. There's only, there's nothing you can put on the screen that would compare to the horror of of slavery. Right. But there are some very disturbing scenes in this. The rape scenes are handled tastefully. They're for the most part off camera. But for a man to have been accused and acquitted of rape, to include several rape scenes in his movie, um, right. And they're also the events that incite this very lo- uh, famous slave revolt. My thinking is, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to right. say, like, you're so disgusted by slavery that... I'm mis- Excuse me. You're so disgusted by rape that you uh, support an uprising? And is that trying to clear your name for these previous offenses? These thoughts you shouldn't be having when you're trying to enjoy a movie. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it was a... I didn't think it was an amazing movie, but it was pretty solid. It was not as good as two years of, uh, 12 Years a Slave from a couple years ago. Two Years a Slave. That's I'd, the I'd prequel. I think we'd all prefer two years to 12. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have there something happened when I saw Birth of a Nation that I think would make the ultimate Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. I'm sitting there. I went to see it alone. 
You should send this to Larry David because I'm sure he never gets these <laughs> from no. fans. Maybe if I, if I, it'll be my elevator pitch. And then I'll tell you my, you. and then I'll tell you my curb idea. Okay, good. And then we got to get to the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about ten minutes into the movie, they so it has Army Hammer in it, ugling himself up to play a plantation owner. So he has like, literally three teeth. He insulted like the hee haw. He inserted like the hee haw style. Sure. Uh, you know, three tooth. Uh, you know, you buy yeah. it at a in a in a, uh, a a quarter machine at the yeah. grocery store. Type the Halloween thing. adventure. Yeah, he wears teeth. that the entire movie to ugly himself up. It's yeah. that kind of movie. It, it was not great, <laughs> but Army Hammer is yelling at this guy like, "Do you think you're better than me?" N word. And the slave says, no, sir. And this black guy is walking into the movie theater, the Visa over here in Los Feliz. Right. And he seemed to be, to me, homeless. But he did get into a movie, so I guess he had some money. But he seemed to maybe have some mental problems. Okay. So he walks in and he's you know, making a, a lot of noise and being kind of a big scene. And when Army Hammer says, you know, do you think you're better than me? And the guy says, no, sir. This guy screams up at the screen while he's walking to his seat. You say, yes, sir. Oh, you boy. You say, yes, you're better than him. Screams it at the screen. Okay. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's a little intense. Okay. And he sits down, and then basically everything that is said, so when the, when the white slave owners are talking, of course, in a slave movie, like assholes to the slaves, he would scream up at the screen. Okay. And he'd be like, you don't have to take that fucking bullshit. Okay. So... We're sitting there, and you could tell everyone was very annoyed by it because then, even in the quiet, more serious parts of the film, uh, you know, like more like more intense parts of the film, he's still screaming at the screen and kind of ruining your engagement with the film. Sure, but you looked around the audience, which was, of course, you know, black and white people. You know, no white person in the audience is going to say to him, <laughs> "Shut up." Quit screaming in the middle of this. You've been screaming for an hour and a half. We're all, we all right. paid to watch this movie. And all the the pathetic white people in the audience were giving each other this look of like, boy, I wish I could say something here, right. but I'm going to let it roll. So now, yeah. And it made a movie that already would have been very tense and depressing even more tense. Like, I, you, you felt like when we walked out in the lobby, like maybe it was going to like turn into words because people were getting very uncomfortable so your curb episode is larry david being like i can't t- I, it's got nothing to do with race i can't tell him that i want I'm just yeah trying to watch or movie. larry david telling him to shut the fuck up and yeah. then it like like the in the background behind him he's making the exact same gestures as like the slave on the, the movie right you know like lecturing the guy or whatever it is but right i thought that could be a very funny episode my curb idea was always uh that uh in a rest he's at a restaurant and he's having a discussion with his manager, Jeff Green. Yep. And the waitress comes over, like waitresses do, and waiters, not being sexist, wait people, mm-hmm. do wait and staff. interrupts the conversation. Hi, welcome to such and such. What can I get for you today? And, and uh, you know, she walks away, and then she comes back again two minutes later. Here are your drinks. Walks away, comes back two minutes later. Have you decided yet? Walks away. He's like, it's very rude, you know? Mm-hmm. Trying to have a conversation, she keeps interrupting. Of course, his manager's like, 
You're crazy. She's trying to it's called good service. What are you talking right. about? He's like, just they should say, excuse me. Are you ready to speak to me? It's very rude. She comes back another time. He puts up his finger. He's like, I, I'm, I just would like you to wait for a moment. She, of course, gets very mad. Then he's got to pay the bill. He can't find her. Goes to the wait station, says, I need to pay my bill. She goes, can you just give me a minute? He has a meltdown. I like oh, it. when you need a minute, it's fine. But right. when you need a minute, it's not okay. Right. And then you just go from there. Well, At the end, it's something. Let's go after Brentwood and Acosta, Larry David, pitching these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. I also saw, I'm not done. Oh, oh, I forgot. I saw my favorite movie of the year, uh, Manchester by the Sea. It comes out around Thanksgiving, I believe. I saw like a you know an Oscar type screening for it, but uh, it's Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams, directed by Kenneth Lonergan, written by Kenneth Lonergan, who did You Can Count on Me, which is one of the all time great wonderful film movies. Mark Ruffalo, Laura Linney, and he also did Margaret, which is a very interesting movie, but you know maybe not as great as some said. This is his best movie, Manchester by the Sea. This thing, don't watch the preview, don't read anything about it. It just like it was a very like emotionally taxing, difficult movie, incredibly well written, very funny. Casey Affleck was incredible in it. I, I don't know what to tell you. It, it's the best movie of the year. You You're should tell us. It. Just go see go it. Go see it. it. It was an incredible movie. Okay. Um just like a movie about such like explosive emotional things handled in a way that never gives in to like the sappy emotionality. Sure. It. it was amazing. I loved it. Sure. And my second favorite movie of the year, I just saw American Honey. I walked in knowing nothing. It was three hours long, which I was certainly not aware of. It seemed to be kind of improvised. It's Shia LaBeouf. I should have hated it. Shia LaBeouf and then this uh, kind of nobody actress that no one has ever heard of. And basically they go across the country selling magazine subscriptions and it's three hours long. And I know that doesn't sound good. Sort of like a Glengarry Glenn Ross kind of thing. No. Well, yeah, it was like Glengarry Glenn Ross meets Larry Clark, like kids or bully yeah. or something. It's about kind of, pardon the term, white trash kids. Uh it's set in and around Kansas City, which is very close to where I grew up, and I related to a lot of it. It felt very real to me. Sure. It was three hours long. I, I could have watched eight hours of it. It's a very very much an art movie, but uh, it had an amazing soundtrack. It was very funny. It was very interesting. It was filmed in an incredible way. I loved it. Check it out. Is that it? That's it. All right. I got a couple. Go, Joe. Uh, my list is not as long as yours. But I uh, spent some time at the New Beverly Cinema. Oh yeah, yeah. This month, uh, which is, if you're not familiar, Quentin Tarantino's cinema. Uh, it's a wonderful place. Eight bucks, you get to see two movies at a clip. Uh, double features. They play cartoons. They play old trailers. It's a really wonderful experience. Fed the whole family at the snack bar for fifteen dollars. Uh, went with our friends Vince and Georgia and my parents. Saw the horror of Dracula, the Hammer classic. Christopher Lee, Dracula movie that started it all. Had a great time. I'm sure most of you Fangoria folks out there have seen it already. And if you haven't, it's a it's a wonderful adaptation of the Bram Stoker novel, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I watched Bram Stoker's Dracula th uh, this weekend. I love it. 
It's a fucking masterpiece. I love it. I think it's as good as a, wor- a piece of work as Coppola's ever done. And you know what? Disregard it. I don't understand. It's a, In, it's a magnificent. If you're willing film. to say like The Godfather is like the perfect drama, and Bram Stoker's Dracula is the perfect like classic horror, I would absolutely agree with you. Yeah, it's a wonderful film. Incredibly, incredibly cool, well shot. I wound up watching like three hours of documentary footage and how they did the special effects. They did them all in camera. Yeah, they're. He they're, didn't want to do ILM. No. So he had his son, who was like 25, do all the special effects. And he's like, yeah, we just tried. We put the film in the freezer for like eight hours. And <laughs> so this yeah. movie that made like $300 million was like a extreme independent movie. I loved it. I thought about it a lot when I watched it. And I thought, you know, Coppola barely makes movies anymore and when he does they're very under the radar but yeah. i was sitting there watching horror dracula saying i mean coppola the guy knocked out godfather one and two a lot of people like three a lot of people hate it but so let's just say yeah. one and two uh apocalypse now and dracula i mean four of the m- most incredibly tailored epic films i've ever seen in my life yeah uh, but anyway, so I saw that. I uh, went back there last night, saw The Conqueror Worm starring Vincent Price, 1968 no. witch trial movie where uh, Vincent Price plays the witch finder general. Some brutal, brutal scenes in it. Quite a, quite a, like gross? Well, it's the way they execute the witches and torture them and stuff. Okay. Or the accused witches, obviously. Um it's uh it's a rough flick and and a very very hard commentary on uh misogyny okay uh h- hard meaning hard hitting uh and it came out in 1968 and it's surprisingly jarring especially for a Vincent Price movie yeah um but uh but a film worth seeing uh and i think the commentary is is quite interesting I had uh, this book growing up, The Entertainment Weekly Guide to the 100 Greatest Movies in Each Genre. And I I was a subscriber of Entertainment Weekly from like the time I was 9 years old. And I I loved it. It's why how it was my Fangoria of the day, you would say. Um, you know, not that it was ever hard-hitting journalism, but at this point it's a lot more like People Weekly. It's not it's not as good a magazine as it used to be. Sure. But uh, this book was so incredible, and they did not pick the obvious choices or easy choices, but they had the 100 best movies in every category. And that was my film school from when I was like 10 to 20. I was trying to check off every movie in that book. And one of the only ones I didn't get to because I couldn't find it. And I was so much of a dork. I used to travel from city to city, go to the Blockbuster, the Hollywood Video, the Mom and Pop trying to find these movies which was a lot of the fun uh of being into movies at that time which now you don't have anymore unfortunately i'm gonna sound even older sure but one of the only ones i could never find was the conqueror worm and then you and vince said you saw that last night and i was like fuck because i always wanted to see it but i guess it's maybe now it's on dvd it wasn't when i was a kid it's it is on dvd you can find it there's a vincent price box set but but I don't think you can find it a lo- solo on DVD. There's a box set that it's included in okay. on Amazon that I think I'm going to order. It's got that and the Dr. Fibes movies and stuff like that in there. Uh, it was originally called Witchfinder General over in Europe. Uh, the European version was edited heavily because of the extreme torture scenes. When it was released here, it was renamed Conqueror Worm after the Edgar Allan Poe poem that it's based on. The Edgar Allan Poem. There you go. And uh, and this, the film was restored with the original footage for the most part. 
But I mean, there's some rough scenes, man. There's a scene where they lower a woman face first into a bonfire. Ugh. Really rough stuff. Um, All right. And you brought your parents to this? No, I brought my parents to Horror of Dracula. Oh, okay. The uh, Conqueror Worm was Matt McCarthy, Vince Avery, and myself. Okay. okay. And we ate a ton of candy. Again, went to the counter. I, I said, guys, snacks are on me. $15 for all of us. Well, the New Beverly is one of my favorite places in the world. When uh, I first moved here and had zero friends, that's where I went three nights a week. So that was great. Uh, watched. What else did I watch over here? Watched uh, Scarecrow, uh, uh, Scarecrow's really a lot of fun, 80s horror. Wait, I thought you meant uh, Gene Hackman Pacino Scarecrow. No, it's called Scarecrows. It's an 80s horror movie. No, uh, one of the Shout Factory, Scream Factory releases. Uh, a botched heist goes wrong. They land in a field. The Scarecrows come to life and start killing people. Okay. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. A lot of gore. A uh, lot of really fun, gruesome stuff. Life Force. Toby Hooper's Life Force. They ordered it. Never seen it. It is... In my opinion, a fucking masterpiece. I can't wait. I've heard so much about it. And there's a tremendous amount of nudity, am I right? Uh, there is a lot of nudity, but it's not sexual nudity. Uh, but uh, Dan uh, O'Bannon, who wrote Return of the Living Dead and who wrote, co-wrote, I think he co-wrote the original Alien. Yeah, he, he did. He uh, either co-wrote or wrote the film. Directed by Toby Hooper, was put out by Canon Pictures. It's probably one of the only movies from the Canon catalog that you can look at and say, no, like without any kitschy irony, this is actually a really good movie. Um, it's just magnificent. It's just right. the, the effects are insane. I got to come in this week. I, I, I ordered so many of these Scream Factory Blu-rays, and I'm going to email them tomorrow and try to get them as a sponsor on the show. We should. We I should. Just, uh, so both what? of those were out of Scream Factory's library uh, with Sc the re-releases. Scream Factory has, and they have a sale going on right now, actually, but uh, these things are the best. Like, I'd never seen The Howling, and I watched The Howling the other night, which is, you know, not as great as I have been led to believe, but I liked it quite a bit. And I wound up watching, like, this 90-minute documentary on the making of The Howling that I liked more than the movie. I think Shout it's Factory does an incredible job. I'm very excited to watch this new print of The Thing I just got and this new print of Carrie I just got. They're the best. They got, they got vignettes on the, on the Scarecrows DVD. As far as I could find, these guys, I don't think, ever made another movie. Yeah. And they've well, got the, interviews, like modern-day, present-day interviews with these guys. Yeah. It's really The documentary incredible. I gave you on Demon Night, you're going to love if you ever watched it. I did it. watch it. Oh, watch okay. it. I loved it. Uh, you can have that Blu-ray back. Thank I enjoyed you. it quite a bit. Um, that's the only reason I came to the podcast tonight, folks, is to get my Demon Knight Blu-ray Blu back. back. Look, we're 32 minutes deep here, roughly. Uh, well, then we're rambling. We, we intended to talk about Psycho and Psycho 2. Yeah, we got to talk about the first two Psycho movies, and then we also have to get to our new segment at the very end. Okay. So uh, we're going to bookend the show from now on with these segments. You'll see what the new segment is when we get to it. Psycho 2. The reason we're talking about Psycho 1 and Psycho 2 is because last night, Vince and I hit hit a bar after the movie, and we texted you and said, come meet us, and you said, I'm in, I'm high, and I'm watching Psycho 2. Yeah. And I thought, And well, nobody we pressured me to come out because they must have known Psycho 2 is the shit. It's awesome. I had never seen it. 
I own in a like a DVD box set I got on Amazon for five bucks. By the way, Psycho two, three, and four. I have it myself. Um, so I'm excited to watch three and four also. But Psycho, of course, I've seen fifty times. I went to film school. You wind up watching it in every class. It, you know, it, it's an incredible movie. Psycho two. All I had ever heard about it was that Quentin Tarantino liked it more than the original Psycho. And, of course, that made me curious, but I was kind of like, oh, he always says crazy stuff like that. I didn't like it more than the original Psycho, of course, but in terms of a horror movie sequel, like I think it's one of the all-time great horror movie sequels. I, I would and agree. Especially to step up to a classic like that. This is like an a, an original story, but like very heavily influenced by the original, and it was so fucking fun and funny. Anthony Perkins was awesome. Loja was awesome. Meg Tilly was awesome. The, I I think it's insanely underrated, and I saw that it did very well at the box office, but it's not a movie you ever hear about as being any good. Well, let's talk first about Psycho One. Let's do it before we get to Psycho Two. Uh, you know, come on, Psycho 1, everybody knows it. I, in fact, just got it. I was up in Toronto. I had a Blu-ray. I mean, I had a DVD of it. I was in Toronto. They had a goddamn Blu-ray of it uh, <clears throat> at Best Buy in Toronto for $5 Canadian, which was like three seventy-five American. What's so the, what's I snatched the Canadian, that up. Is it a Louis? Is that the Canadian dollar? It's a Canadian dollar. Okay. I don't know. That's just, they, as far as I know, it was just called the Canadian dollar. All right. But Psycho 1, I mean, every aspect of the movie is, is my, in my opinion, is perfect from the credit sequence to the score. In fact, I was just at Amoeba and I bought on vinyl uh, Hitchcock, uh, the famous scores of Hitchcock or whatever. Oh, nice. conducted, the old Bernard Herman? Yeah, conducted by Bernard Herman with the London Philharmonic. Nice. Uh, and Psycho's on there, obviously. But, you know, this is, this is a great... This is the height of filmmaking in Hitchcock's career. Um, what do you think of the Psycho remake? Uh, you know, man, I'm a fan of pretty much everybody involved in that thing, but I just, I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't think it was had a point. I yeah, uh, it felt kind of like a a sort of shitty, not interesting art exhibit. Whereas, um, I went, I saw it. I had kind of a fun time because they're doing the exact same movie and it's Vince Vaughn. You know, the only thing they added, I think, was him jerking off, but it's a shot-for-shot remake of the original. And I was kind of like, all right, I guess I'm glad I saw it. What's frustrating is that I'm sure many people saw it and that's the only version of Cycle they'll ever see. Right. I believe... uh, I didn't think it was a a bad movie. I just didn't get the point of it, per se. I'm sure as an actor, he never wants to hear this, but I don't want to see Vince Vaughn playing a creep. Yeah. No, I I don't... I like when he's... I like when he's likable. Uh, But... Have you seen Bates Motel? Yeah, it's... You know, it's it's a half-good show. The the storyline involving Norman and his descent into madness and all that stuff is great. that fucking shoehorned in B roll B story, like Twin Peaks the thing they're trying to do with the yeah. weed t- is terrible. It's terrible, and yeah. I, and I, I say that because it was I like to Twin drive Peaks. me away before the end of the first season, and I did think it had some good stuff about it, but it wasn't keeping my interest per se. Yeah, and I also don't like seeing Norman Bates with a, uh, an iPhone. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> Come on. I agree. I mean, it, fine, set it in present day, but his mom shouldn't let him have an iPhone. Right, right, right. She should be crazy, like, uh, whatever. So, But I would imagine most people listening have not seen Psycho 2, and if you get nothing else out of this podcast, I urge you to rent it. But you said you've seen 3 and 4, which I own, and I'm excited to watch. I have. But I know you don't remember them, but do you remember them being good or bad? Uh, I remember them being forgettable, okay. uh, and I remember. Well, h- hold on before we get to that. The one thing I want to say is I actually have the book, the novel of Psycho, okay, the original novel. And one thing I'll say What's about it, the, is it called Psycho? Yes. Okay. Uh, no, it's actually it's called Crazy Town. Isn't <laughs> isn't uh, Ed Gein the inspiration for both Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I, I know definitely for Texas Chainsaw. I think possibly for Psycho. Okay. Uh, but I will say this about the book, and this is going to lead us into Psycho 2, because there's not really much to say about Psycho 1. Everybody knows it's great. It's probably got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, of course. I think it was the f- one of the first movies to ever have an R rating. You know, we all know the little, he used chocolate sauce instead of red stuff because it looked like blood on the black and white. We all know that shit. Um, but the, will th- the one thing I will say before we move on is the book... Norman Bates is depicted quite differently. In the book, he's in his 40s. He's a short, bald, heavyset man okay, with thick glasses, uh, which I think is much creepier. Uh, I would have liked to have seen like a real, like, there's something about him being middle-aged with the glasses and bald. Like, That's much creepier, but I got to tell you, I don't think it would have been as scary because in a especially watching him again in two he was amazing in part two but he's kind of like a good-looking older dude and there's just something a little off about him we all know people like that and i think that that was a lot more interesting to me than if it had been paul giamatti or steve buscemi or whatever else so my speaking of which i just got an audition for something Uh, i don't probably can't i don't know if i can everything you're not allowed to talk about anything anymore but i just auditioned for something in the in the breakdown it said uh, a Paul, a Steve Buscemi type, except not as good looking. <laughs> it's like, oh well, thank you for that. That feels good. Uh, anyway, my, my buddy John Gabris, one of the funniest men alive. Uh, I got him an audition for a part on the show I write for, and he texted me the breakdown from the script. I had no idea this was in the script. Uh, but it described the character that I told him, like, you're a shoe-in for this role. The description of the character was slovenly, fat, disgusting, <laughs> semicolon, a real pig. <laughs> he just sent me a screen grab of it, like, thanks for thinking of me. Did he get it? And he didn't get it. <laughs> well, he's a good-looking man, if I... Gabrus? If I may say so. Gabrus is a good-looking man. He's He's a... You know, a heavy set man, but he's not a slovenly pig. No, but I mean, he he would have been much better for the role than the person we got. I assure you. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, so Psycho One uh, is is you know it's slightly different in the book, the story, but it, it's pretty much it's pretty much it's fairly accurate. Uh, now, but here's my point that I'm getting to as we go into the Psycho Two. And it was two. a fiction book, correct? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but here's the thing that's important about that to me. You mentioned Tarantino saying he likes Psycho 2 better. Now, he might just like Psycho 2 better. My theory on that is 
he's looking at this as most people would argue, but part one is based on the book and the book this and the book that. I think his argument might be, yeah, but part one actually took a lot of liberties from the book. Therefore, we have to judge this not as Hitchcock's master adaptation of this best-selling novel, right. but just as a film series. And as a film series goes, part two is better than the first story for these reasons because of what we learn of the character. And one of the first things you notice in part two, and uh, some people mentioned this on our online questions tonight that they're sending in, oh. is that <clears throat> Norman Bates returns some 10 or 15 years later, whatever it is, 20 years later, and he's quite sympathetic. You feel sorry for him. Yeah, I did. You fe- you don't feel like this is a terrible man who did terrible things. You feel like this is a disturbed man who was abused, yeah. who was out of his mind, and has gone through rehabilitation and is really trying his best to be normal now. They also really the entire time, because a lot of the plot of, of Psycho 2, without spoiling anything, is are people fucking with Norman to get him to go crazy again, right? to get him put back in jail, which is a really ingenious uh, way for the for the sequel to go so you never really know what's real what isn't and like it's the kind of movie where my girlfriend was like walking from uh our kind of like study room to bed and just kind of overheard something and wound up watching the last like hour and a half of the movie it's like there's something about it it's shot um in a very it's not hitchcock but it's shot in a very cool way and the story is fucking awesome and really kind of a should be a lesson to a lot of horror sequels that suck so hard. Right. Because it has so much respect for the original, but is also kind of ballsy enough to go the opposite way of this classic movie and just create some really crazy shit of its own. And speaking of horror sequels hitting it out of the park, just a brief side note, Ouija, Origin of Evil, which is the new Ouija board movie great reviews 90 percent on rotten tomatoes i didn't even see the original but ouija 2 looks terrifying to me yeah so uh I, and then the reviews i read said just that this is a, this is how you make a sequel it righted all the wrongs the first one yada 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 okay here's the synopsis of psycho 2 in case you haven't seen it uh two decades after the original murders at the bates hotel motel norman bates completes his treatment at a mental institution returns home and he finds that his hotel is uh, run down under the man- management of Warren Toomey, played by Dennis Franz, who's always enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Despite a new friendship with Waitress, played by Meg Tilly, uh, and a job bussing tables at a diner, Norman begins to hear the voices once again. No matter how hard he tries, Norman cannot keep Mother from returning and coaxing him to unleash the homicidal maniac within. So that's basically the idea of the movie and as pat said it's you know it's one of these things like the town doesn't want him around they all hate him uh you know so are they fucking with him or is he really hearing these things and and you know it sort of unfolds from there uh i the movie kept me guessing till just about the very end yeah me too it is well shot it was shot by uh, richard franklin it looked really great for like when I looked it up. It was 1981. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty awesome looking movie for that time. They got the original sets. Richard Franklin also did. He's done a bunch of movies, but he also did the movie Patrick, which is the mental telepathy horror movie from 1978. They they remade it later in the 
2002 or something like that. But the original Patrick is wonderful. And again, I love the title. Noted as uh, Tar- by Tarantino as one of his favorite films. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I truly do think that the, I mean, look, w- what Psycho 2 would have been at the hands of most people was a killer on the rampage. More deaths and, and put them over the top and whatever. And more blood and he's on the loose and he breaks out of the asylum. and Yeah. And instead, they did this really earnest character study about a guy desperately trying to get his life back on track right and what what's stronger his will to live a normal life or these demons he has inside of him yeah and then the the really cool thing is that it does all that but there are also really cool kills in it yes like uh when the violence started happening i was kind of like oh like i thought this was kind of a very classy well done continuation but then when it comes down to the kills they're kind of beating the uh friday the 13th crowd at their own game yes. they had some really awesome kills in there too now it was also written by tom holland who child's play fright night wrote and directed fright night wrote and directed child's play yes wrote and directed thinner yeah which we've which done we've on here on the show uh has a writing credit on the Fright Night remake. I don't know if that's just for characters, like characters yeah. or not. Um, no, he wrote the story. Well, I guess it's the same story as the original. Uh, and Tom is a friend of horror podcasts all around. Uh, many of my friends that do horror podcasts, he's, he's guested on. We've never had him on here because we don't usually have guests. But I've had some correspondence with him on Twitter. And uh, I'm a big fan of the guy. Yeah. So uh, yet another cool reason that uh, that uh, Psycho Two is a cool movie. You also you mentioned already Robert Loggia's in it. Love Loggia. Uh, I love Loggia too. Feats Lamana from The Sopranos, which Joe inexplicably hates. He plays Feach Lamada. Feach Lamana. Yeah. That's his name in it. Yeah. Feach Lamana. <laughs> yes, yeah, is a great part for him. It's a wild name. Uh, no, I was actually blown away by Psycho 2. I uh, was very, very, very pleased by it. I'm excited about watching 3 and 4. I think 4 was a Showtime movie. 3 was a theatrical release. And the reviews kind of get worse with each. But they brought back the original writer of Psycho for the fourth one. Whatever that does for you. Uh, yeah. Now, I will I will say this. The uh, the the Psycho 4, I remember liking more. The reason I don't really remember 3 and 4 is because they were not as riveting and more forgettable than the first two. Right. 3, I remember. And 4 apparently was like, I don't, I'm pretending that 2 and 3 don't exist. The writer was like, I saw those. I thought they were shit, so I'm not. I'm not doing anything with it. It kind of did skip it. Uh, yeah. The thing I didn't. Uh, the, the, okay, here's the cool aspects of four. Uh, you know that they they go into flashback sequences with. I think it's is it Will Wheaton in Psycho Four plays the young, uh, the young uh, uh, Norman Bates. Um, I mean, it's it'd be good casting if it was. I think it is Will Wheaton. Hold on a second. Let me look this up. Um, so those aspects of it I thought were cool. I like that they were showing you some backstory. No, Henry Thomas. That's right, from E.T. Oh, okay. uh, CCH Pounder is in it. Of Demon Knight and the Shield. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Hussey plays Norma Norma Bates. Right. Um, 
Four, I liked the backstory aspects of it. I didn't like the the the. There was the, the whole modern story part was that Norman is now living like a sort of normal life, and he's married, but he's somehow hidden his past. Okay. From uh, from his wife. And he's like about to host a dinner party or something, and he calls in to talk radio, and he's like, "I think I might do it again." It's okay. a it's it's a campier take on it, you know. Right. It's like, oh, he's back, and he's up to no good. I personally wasn't buying that he was living in this like three hundred fifty thousand dollars suburban home, sure, uh, just kind of you know with with <laughs> with a flair for the for the for the artisan. F- <laughs> foods or whatever yeah. you know but uh but it's not bad it was better than three three i honestly i couldn't i don't remember three at all and i did watch it fairly recently but i can't remember it did you know anthony perkins died of aids i did know that unfortunate i did know that 60 years old uh i watched the tab hunter documentary and he dated anthony perkins for a bit yeah i mean we uh you know, Heather loved uh, Psycho 2 last night as well, and we wound up doing a Wikipedia on him. It seemed like he lived a gay life for a while, then married a woman for like 10, 15, 15, 15, 15 years. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, gossip around that about, yeah. you know, like, he claimed that he wasn't gay uh, and was married and had a family, and then okay. other people say otherwise. Tab Hunter, of course, said that he had a relationship with him. Tab he Hunter. He dated him. During his marriage, pre- he dated him like right up to Psycho. Oh, okay. And Tab Hunter, unfortunately, says in that documentary, like, yeah, he, I mean, I was incredibly close to this man, and he turned out to be like a Hollywood climber and was only mm-hmm. out for himself and was very mm-hmm. selfish. And it kind of sucked. It put a it put a new, a darker spin on Anthony Perkins than I wanted to have. But whatever, especially for a guy who didn't climb that high. Frankly, let's go to the let's go to the. You got to take your foot off that because that's going to shove that down. Pat's got his foot on this, oh. what was a table at one point, and I think <laughs> it's now Christ. been smashed down into nothing. Uh, I'm sorry, but I couldn't. I couldn't focus. <laughs> I couldn't focus. I get it. I'm just uh, destroying Joe's home. Uh, let's go into the the, the 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 fan feed. The questions here. Uh, first co- comes from Josh Brown at the underscore Josh underscore uh, Brown. Hi, Josh. Were you able to is it for the first time without the ending being? I don't know what that means. It's clearly a typo. Okay. Were you able to is it for the first time without the ending being spoiled for you? I, 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 you're, w- Josh, were you able to see Psycho 2 without the ending being spoiled, I assume? Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know what the ending was. I completely was. I had no idea what it was going to be, and I thought they kept the twists a-coming, and I was blown away by it, frankly. I was like, this movie, you know, cause especially 22 years after the original movie. Like, I read Siskel and Ebert's review, and they were, like, begrudgingly admitting that it was good. Right. But they were like, you know, compared to the original, no. But, like, we have to admit it's pretty good. Right. But So at the time it must have seemed like this kind of cynical cash-in. But now, where both movies are just old movies, 
um, it seems like kind of a dream continuation of it. Like I, yeah. I was actually riveted to it, had no idea what was going to happen, and the movie's like forty years old. Loved it. Uh, next question comes from at C seven two M E R C. Interested in what you guys thought about Last Shift on Netflix. If you guys care to review it, uh, well, possibly another time. I did watch it based on your... What's Last Shift? I think this guy recommended this to us. Somebody recommended that we watch Last Shift on Netflix. I think it was him. I watched it. I I, I found it disappointing. I thought it had its moments. I thought it started with a lot of promise and then got... Kind of got away from itself a bit, but... It wasn't bad, but uh, I haven't seen it. possibly in a future episode we will review it uh, if Pat watches it. Uh, Gibbon Wizard writes to us, what's your favorite Hitchcock film? I'm going to go with Rope. Wow, Rope, okay. Rope My, is a masterpiece. Uh, I love Rope. My favorite Hitchcock movie by far is Notorious! Exclamation point. Uh, which is one of my favorite movies ever made. And that's made. the movie about B.I.G., right? The rapper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't know Hitchcock did that. That's amazing. No, Notorious is obviously a classic, but is strangely not often mentioned among his best. It's Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, and it's a, like kind of a Nazi romance thriller. To me, it's his best movie. I think it's a, one of the best movies ever made. Um, my follow-up would be Rear Window and then maybe Vertigo Psycho. Rob Larrick... Uh, Writes Lord, in. How are you doing, buddy? Rob also often writes to us. Thank yeah. you, Rob. Uh, two thoughts he has on part one and two, and two thing two thoughts that are echoing some things we've already said on here tonight. But Norman at the start of Psycho Two, Perkin, you know what Norman is at the start of Psycho Two. Perkins still gets you to sympathize with him. Great yeah. performance. That that is true, and that is what sells the movie. Absolutely. Uh, and then also about part one, the degree to which Burma, Bernard Herrmann's score elevated the horror is rivaled only by John Carpenter's score for Halloween. I agree, and I would yep. also put the uh, the uh, Ennio Morricone Exorcist score right there with it. Um, let's see. Here we go. Uh, Brian Jepson writes. Brian oh, this Ray is, Jepson? Uh, no Ray, just a Brian no. Jepson. No relation to Carly Ray. Not that I know of. All right. This is very interesting. Christopher Walken was considered for Norman Bates for Psycho 2. Yeah, apparently I, I read the Wikipedia on it, and uh, Anthony Perkins passed on Psycho 2. He was like, no, like why would we do this again? And they were like, okay, we're going to recast it. They got very close to signing Christopher Walken because the script was so good, and uh, Perkins was like, oh, okay, I'll do it. He did. He thought they would maybe call his bluff. Wow. But God. You know well, now, do you think Christopher Walken would have been an incredible Anthony Perkins? Walken would have been great. I prefer having the consistency of the same actor because Perkins is a truly great actor. Perkins was awesome in Psycho too. I know that much. Yeah. And he directed three, I believe. It would have been too distracting, I think, to have. Yeah. To I have agree. another actor in there. Uh, did either? Uh, this comes from Eric Lamora. Did either of you see Hitchcock? If so, is it worth a viewing? Absolutely worth a viewing. Um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, Anthony Hopkins was great as Hitchcock. Helen Mirren was great as Mrs. Hitchcock. I can't remember what her first name is. Pat. Well, that's his sister's name. I don't know. Uh, it's great. I would also see The Girl, which is the one with Toby Jones as Hitchcock. Um, Unfortunately, in the girl, they, 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 the girl basically serves as a it, not intentionally, but it's essentially a sequel 
to Hitchcock because Hitchcock's about the making of Psycho. The girl's about the making of the birds, which was the follow up. Hitchcock portrays some of the darker sides of Alfred Hitchcock. The girl goes all in. I didn't uh, see the girl. I, I liked Hitchcock. It's a great movie, but it's one of those biopics where you're like, okay, well, I hate this guy now. Great. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, Cunningham Holman wrote, I'm sad for you that you had to sit through two. Cunningham. Oh. We, we couldn't disagree more. This whole podcast episode has been in praise of two. Finally, Super El Bisto writes, your rap music sucks like your entire career. Well, off topic, but. Who, who was that for? Super El Bisto. They which, said that to you? Yeah, which means he's named himself after the Rob Zombie movie, The Adventures <laughs> of El... What is that cartoon? I don't Super know what that Bisto. Is. But do you have a rap career that I'm not aware of? I used to do rap music when I was younger. Oh, so they're just taking a shit on you. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and just do a block on that guy. Okay. Why not, you know? let's. Do, his name is Deplorable Bisto. Oh, God. Well, if he's... Saying he's deplorable, he's a Trump supporter. Anyway, uh, that's the discussion. Let's get to this final segment, Patty. All right. Joe Uh, told me about this new segment we're doing about 10 seconds before the show started, so I'm going to let him handle it. It was just an idea. Uh, I just thought it'd be fun as a quick segment at the end of each episode to to select our favorite uh, harsh review from uh, Rotten Tomatoes, a contemporary harsh review of a movie that's playing in theaters right now, because some of them are really, really funny. Um, I, the movie I'm picking is Keeping Up with the Joneses. Uh, I'm a fan of many of the people in the film. I think the mil- film looks deplorable, to use that word again. <laughs> yeah, I hate that the billboard for it says License to Kill and License to Chill. Well, I, mean, I am baffled by how a movie with those people in it can have not even a smile on the trailer. That's where I'm, I'm always kind of like, well, you know, it's like daddy's home. In theory, I want to see daddy's home. <laughs> so, but you see a trailer for it and you're like, wait a minute. If they couldn't get one funny moment to put in this trailer, I know what I need to know about daddy's home, frankly. And then I saw it and it was confirmed, folks. So these, okay, so these are the two. I actually picked two for this because I just, they, they're just so funny. Uh, the first one is from Bilge Abiri of the Village Voice. I, I apologize if I'm... Oh, you're mis- reading actual reviews. Yeah, yeah. You take a bad review and you read it. I thought you were looking at, like, customer reviews. No, like top critic reviews. They're okay. just funny. Okay. Uh, I apologize if I said your vo- name wrong. Uh, but here's the... <laughs> Here's the review. Even those of us with a soft spot for dumb, high-concept Hollywood comedies might be outraged by the limp, (laughs) unfunny, nothing burger. (laughs) (laughs) That is keeping up with the Joneses. Yikes. Nothing burger. I've never heard that term before. That's a guy looking to be shouted out on a podcast with that that interview. And then the second one... uh, Alonzo uh, Duraldi from The Rap. Did I say that right? If I didn't, I apologize. This black hole of a film is a waste of this talented wow. crew's time. Yes, but it's also a waste of the audiences offering no laughs, no ideas, <laughs> no fresh perspectives, comma, nothing, period. Wow. <laughs> you know, Joe, it reminds me of a... Uh, 
a critique of a paper I wrote my junior year of high school, and Mr. Mueller wrote back on my paper, you know, Patrick, having your own opinion is one thing, but being wrong is just that, dot, dot, being wrong. (laughs) And he underlined being and wrong three times each. Very nice. Very nice. You kidding me? Uh, Are you going to do one? Uh, I don't have one ready because I I was not prepared, but my favorite all-time negative review of a movie, I will give you that, is Roger Ebert's review of The Village, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Uh, It's one of the funniest negative reviews ever written, and I urge you to Google it and check it out. All right. Pat, what are your plugs? Uh, I got no plugs, Joe. I'm doing great. Follow him on Twitter, the Patrick Walsh. At the Patrick Walsh, fine. Twitter, Instagram. Uh, do Snapchat. I'm hit a grown that. Man. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Fangoria. Hit those iTunes reviews. Give us some nice ones if you have the time. We'd appreciate it. Uh, I've got the new short story column out. Uh, story number four, entitled "Our Father Just Dropped." Some severe situations. That's available at Fangoria.com. Uh, I'll be at the Galway Comedy Festival in Ireland. Halloween weekend, where we will be doing a live recording of We'll See You in Hell. Unfortunately, Pat won't be with me, but we've got Mr. Tom Rhodes sitting in as co-host for that that day. He's a legendary comedian. He's a wonderful man. Uh, So Tom will be with us, and we're going to talk about an Irish centric horror film leprechaun and well i think actually we might do bram stoker's dracula because a lot of it was shot in ireland apparently so we already did leprechaun so we can't yeah uh but i will be there for that and then uh the new york comedy festival if you're in new york all of the the first two weeks of november i have shows out there the big one for me though is november 3rd gotham comedy club headlining that night uh doing new material because I just shot the hour and it's time to start rebuilding. Thank you again to everybody that came out for that. That was really wonderful of you. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, Joe DeRosa Comedy. Uh, this has been a podcast produced by the Fangoria Podcast Network. You want to know the names of our producers? It's Thomas DeFeo. An executive producer is Ken Hanley of Fangoria Entertainment. For press opportunities, advertising inquiries, information about this show and other shows, contact Ken at Fangoria dot, what is it, com? <laughs> yeah, com. Okay. <laughs> dot gov. Yeah. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks. Happy Halloween.